so here we are in a new episode of the History and Politics podcast. We are with a, a great guest. We have Connor Duffy, who is a, um, a scientist by, by day and a, and a politics uh, Twitter person by, by night. So hi, Connor. <laughs> hi, Connor. Hi. How, how are you? Doing? Hi, Will. Not, not too bad, not too bad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you have been... Um, uh, active in social media talking about this this campaign and, and, and someone from from overseas in, in Ireland and I also am overseas I, I, I am Peru and I live here in, in Lima Peru and mm-hmm. and it's it's a very curious election and I think that that, that particularly the, the next election is, is going to be uh, a very particular kind of, of moment because uh, it's a mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a moment that, that is the the Trump years have been had a, a lot of noise in the media. It, it hasn't stopped it for a while. I mean, the, the last day was the only day that I think that Peruvian media hasn't covered basically the the the, 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 the anything of Trump because a lot of things are happening here. But but to the extent that, that American news are getting covered much more than, than the New York Times. Even when there, in other times there were um, free trade agreements and other things that had to do in, in theory more with, with Peru. And, and it seems that, that this coverage is, is, is getting big in everywhere. And, and, and also in social media now we can read the, the, the American press and, and it seems that there there is kind of a a perspective that I was having of, of how the, the particular the, the 2020 Democratic primaries were going to be, that it was going to be the establishment behind Joe Biden, it was going to be the, the, the left faction of the Democratic Party behind uh, Bernie Sanders, and, and, and that it was going to be um, Kamala Harris going from, from behind trying to, to, to catch a more kind of diverse base, but that's not necessarily what it has happened. I think Bernie has shown being a much more stronger contender that I would have expected. But the emergence of, of candidates like Pete Buttigieg uh, or, or Beto Rourke, even Andrew Young, and, and, and I don't know how far will uh, Mike Gravel will go. I mean, but, but even his candidature is, is really very curious, and even the more smaller kind of candidates that, that, that are there want to have their, their 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 moment of fame. I mean, and it seems that 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 in this context that I was kind of surprised, candidates have uh, show a stark difference uh, between them, and some have shown that 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 libertarian tendencies still live in the. The Democratic Party. I mean, um, uh, Beto Rourke on immigration. Uh, Pete Buttigieg seems a, a little bit more free market friendly than our candidates, and and and, and Bernie Sanders on foreign policy. To, so it's it seems like a lot of and and then Young also some ideas like Ubi that that's, if it's true that not all libertarians support Ubi it's idea that, that it has gained track in the last time, and 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 it seems that that these ideas are are, are kind of are the the Democratic Party is in a very curious moment in in the flow in, in in trying to define a new identity and and it's 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 this flow that I think it's interesting to to analyze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I basically agree with, um, with, with most or if not all of what you've said there. Um, at the, I was as well. I was sort of similar. I thought that this this primary was kind of going to be, um, it was going to be another sort of situation of um, a kind of establishment favourite who, who I thought actually would be the favourite there would be Kamala Harris as opposed to Joe Biden um, uh, against an insurgent Bernie Sanders movement again. But what we're, we're definitely seeing is a lot of um, a lot of candidates that I'd say a lot of people, I'd say even um, a lot of Americans might have even heard of people like Pete Buttigieg before this uh, before they announced for the presidency. So it's 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 really unpredictable <laughs> at the moment. And uh, I, I think um, Pete Buttigieg or Mayor Pete, as they call him, uh, I think he's been um, 
he's been a very interesting case in that he's just a is a mayor in a relatively small city, certainly by American standards. And now all of a sudden, like the polls that are are done in uh, you know, the initial states like you know Iowa, and New Hampshire, and uh, just kind of media coverage in general seems to happen as seems to happen kind of quite up there. You know, he's a he's a fighter certainly. He's someone who's who you wouldn't want to be ignoring in your um, in your predictions. So I think it's it's definitely worth uh, it's worth looking into what makes these people tick a little bit more and. Um, yeah, as from a like you were saying, from a libertarian perspective, obviously um, libertarians are libertarian adjacent people. I kind of, um, you know, I, I have some disagreements with uh, the core libertarian philosophy, but I'm certainly more of a libertarian than anything else. Um, you know, I, I think libertarians are kind of doomed <laughs> with politics that you're always going to be uh, picking the least bad <laughs> people to support. You know. You've got uh, you've got politicians who are various degrees of bad, and you try and pick the least bad of them. And uh, it what well, what I think is important to stress here, though, is that this is going to be an awful lot different if you're a libertarian who's actually living in the United States uh, compared to a libertarian who is outside the United States, like uh, myself and yourself are. Because if you're living in the United States, and obviously an awful lot more of what the president does and what the president wants to do is going to affect your daily life. So a libertarian in the United States might be a lot more concerned with certain issues, particularly you can imagine um, economic issues like uh, taxation and regulation and all those uh, those kind of classic uh, libertarian economic um, concerns. Whereas uh, for, for myself and yourself, people who are outside of the United States, we probably... Um, we're probably more likely to weigh things like um, foreign policy, maybe immigration to an extent. Um, we're going to rate those issues uh, probably higher on our list of uh, what we'd like to see the Americans uh, vote for, because obviously from our perspective, uh, what really matters in the United States president is how they interact with the rest of the world. You know, I mean, that's what's really going to affect us. And that's probably... That, that's probably what we actually um, care about in the United States too. Is we want foreign policy to be a particular way. We want um, we want, for example, trade policy is another classic one. We we want that to be a particular way because we think that that's probably going to be the most consequential aspect of it. So I, I think it's uh, I just think it's important to kind of for maybe if any uh, U.S. based libertarians listen to us here <laughs> might <laughs> might find our some of the ideas strange, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, just that, uh, you know, there, there's going to be different priorities, uh, depending on where you're I, I, I remember once uh, uh, listening to, to Samuel Hammond of the, of the Scandinavian Center saying that, that he also, mm. sometimes the Rotarians find weird his, his ideas, but he, he reminds us that he's Canadian and he doesn't fit in the Lockean libertarianism that, 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 mm. that is kind of more uh, particularly American. Uh, 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 Kind of distinct expression of, of, of libertarianism, in some ways more radical and and but but I was thinking that that I mean it's it's very curious that the the kind of developments that have been happening in, in the in the last times because there were candidates like Kirsten Gillibrand who I thought was going to do better. I mean, it, it it's it's true. I think she's not. She she's a very curious candidate because she she seemed to have started as more or less a moderate Democrat and and as far as as, as her state in general move further to the left she she has embraced positions that are that put her more or less on the left of the party like abolishing eyes and things like that but at the same time people don't seem to bite it. And, and and the people seem to 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 try to search for for honesty in in in, in politicians, despite that 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 a lot of people and a lot of times uh, we, uh, there is kind of a cynic attitude toward politicians. It seems that it still bothers one to have honesty because uh, people don't know. I, I, I know just voters. I don't know what's really her position of immigration, or, and and it's true. I mean, I think she's from rural New York. Rural New York doesn't have the, the amount of, of immigration that the lower parts of, of the U.S. have, and, and 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 that's probably the reason why 
Beto Rourke has been a much more stronger uh, candidate on the field of immigration. Uh, he has been able to capitalize to uh, to live in a, in a border city, and and and, and the fact that that he is able to 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 uh, speak on a more on a much more libertarian kind of, of perspective on uh, uh, this issue, and and it seems a, an aspect really interesting to to analyze because, for example, like Bernie Sanders has has repeated the same mistakes. I, I think that, that in the the in the last uh, election cycle of, of, of trying to put himself on on the right on, on immigration, I think that he tried to appeal to more conservative Democrats. But more conservative Democrats, I think, have a different framework because they generally are old and they are uh, some are very old even, and they have still some anti-communist streak in them. Uh, particularly the veterans, the Vietnam veterans that are not. So people that, that still have much sympathy for, for someone like Bernie Sanders, um, but it, it's it's a very complex issue because uh, it's uh, it's for example I don't think Pete Buttigieg has made uh, immigration a center of, of his platform, and despite that he has been able to 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 rise on the polls very quickly, and and it it's it's also. An issue of the of the of the primary process, as uh, New Hampshire and, and Iowa are, are becoming much more diverse. But but the, the the true about that is that, for example, Iowa, a lot of the of the more recent immigrants have not been nationalized, so are very recent, so they don't vote, and and that also is going to to affect kind of the the dialogue there. And and that is a really a very curious moment for for the Democratic Party between uh, the calls for abolishing ICE and and, and and kind of the the the, the new case the socialist case for for immigration restriction is uh, of Bernie Sanders it it seems that 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 there is a still not defining a complete identity on this issue. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Immigration is, um, I'll, I'll lay my cards on the table, immigration is the, the single issue that I probably would uh, would care most about if I was ranking, say, uh, Democrat uh, candidates uh, based on, um, oh, which ones would I like to see do well? Yeah, the more, I, I want the ones who are pro-immigration to do well. <laughs> you know, as a big surprise from a libertarian, you know, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, it's an interesting issue in the Democratic primary, all right, in that you've got candidates like Beto O'Rourke, who has clearly uh, made who's clearly made immigration a very central aspect of his uh, candidacy. He's made it a very central aspect of his uh, personal brand in a, in a lot of ways. Because, you know, I mean, we saw there recently where he went down to um, El Paso and he... You know, he was, he was speaking in front of a crowd and he was saying that, you know, this is these are the people of El Paso. And, of course, the, the guy at the ground were, you know, they're quite a diverse group of people. A lot of them would have been recent immigrants themselves. So he can really kind of talk about his personal experience because he's, you know, he's Texas. He's uh, from a border state. And uh, well, what's really interesting there is um, is often what you, you get in politics is people... You know, people try not to take very bold stances, or they try and uh, kind of split the middle between, you know, kind of popular views. So obviously, Donald Trump is a hardline anti-immigration guy, and uh, a lot of Democrats have kind of, uh, up until the primary started, a lot of them were, you know, they're kind of focusing on just very kind of particular aspects of things. So they would talk vaguely about immigration reform, and then if they were ever getting into particulars, they talk about cases like the Dreamers, who are, you know. Uh, young kids who were brought across the border who were, you know, who were too young to actually have been able to make any decision in the matter. Now, most Americans, uh, in, in fact, I think even Donald Trump himself, kind of don't want, kind of don't think they should be criminalized. You kind of think that they should be sorted out. So up until now, they've really been dancing around the issue. They've kind of just been saying Trump is bad, and uh, but they haven't really offered much themselves. Whereas um, Beto O'Rourke... He uh, even recently said he wanted to, not only was he opposed to a border wall, that he wanted to actually tear down some of the existing fencing, which is quite an amazing thing to hear. But also um, some less uh, some less well-known candidates uh, are like uh, another Texas man, uh, Julian Castro, who has recently proposed another mayor, in fact, and he's proposed decriminalizing immigration entirely. So like not making it a felony 
of any sort to cross the border as part of a whole scale immigration reform platform. And that's a pretty that's again, that's a really bold stance. I mean, obviously, that's not, you know, just for clarity, he's not a, he's not talking about a kind of the open borders uh, situation that, you know, libertarians like uh, myself and, you know, people at the Cato Institute and whatnot, you know, kind of, uh, you know, anyone who's peaceful can go across the border and work or whatever. That, that's not what Castro's proposing. But it is still a far, it's a step in a far more liberal direction. And a lot of the new, the kind of new left-wing, um, new left-wing members of the Democratic Party, like the uh, congresswoman from New York, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she is, of course, uh, she called for abolishing ICE, like you mentioned. A lot of other Democrats have gotten bored with that, particularly a lot of the new kind of progressive wing have defined themselves as being very pro-immigration and in particular very um, hostile to what's seen as what is rightly, in my view, seen as a very brutal enforcement mechanism. And of course, what, what's interesting about that is, of course, that is completely um, in contrast to the to the old kind of um, old socialists like Bernie and kind of the uh, kind of the union between um, the kind of labor liberalism is what it's often called, you know, where kind of, uh, you know, we with like uh, labor unions and um, whatnot that are that kind of Joe Biden represents in the primary. That these these sort of people tend to be a lot more. I mean, look, I wouldn't. It's it's you know it's debatable whether they're anti-immigration. I I would personally uh, characterize Bernie as being a lot more against immigration than he's in favor of it. I mean, so a lot of these people, you know, they they talk about how oh you can't um, have. A huge amount of migrants coming in because it's going to, uh, you know, undermine the welfare state or whatever. So, you know, it, it is really actually interesting that uh, the left-wing factions of the Democratic Party are actually divided on this as well. You know, the potential presidential candidate for them would be Bernie Sanders, the kind of probably the most uh, left-wing or progressive uh, serious contender. I mean, there's there's minor candidates, uh, smaller candidates such as Mike Gravel, who you know might be might be considered more to the left of him, depending on what exactly you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, but he's, yeah. uh, but, you know, uh, Bernie is a lot more, um, Bernie is a, he's probably one of the most restrictionist members of the Democratic Party. Well, he's not a member of the Democratic Party, sorry, but he's running in the primary. He's probably one of the most restrictionist people there on immigration, and he has been for his entire career. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays into the primary, because obviously with Trump having made immigration a huge, huge element of his of his selling point about his his appeal, about what he says he wants to do as a president. I mean, he's always talking about immigration. He's always talking about the borders. So the question is, are the Democrats going to fight that? Are they actually going to, you know, stand up and say, no, he's wrong. He's completely wrong. You know, there, there's actually nothing useful being said here at all. And we need to completely rethink our immigration system. Or are they going to uh, kind of go with someone like Bernie and kind of try and... Um, say oh there's you know valid concerns here but you know we need reform but we need to really control our borders as well it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and but I, I i do think it's um i do think it's encouraging that um people like uh, that that people like Beto o'rourke are polling relatively high and that they and that immigration being such a central part of his uh, platform is there uh, when the Democratic uh, debates start, I'm really, really hoping that this is something that is thrashed out because I feel like the party as a whole is a lot more on the pro-immigration side. I mean, you can you can look at polls, even just Americans in general. Since Trump became presidency, Americans have become a lot more pro-immigration, uh, presumably because, you know, you, you with Donald Trump, you see the face of immigration restrictionism. So I'm just, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. But um, hopefully I'm hoping that it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be a shift towards more liberalization, towards, uh, you know, I'm not sure if abolishing ICE will happen, but certainly, um, I, I mean, I hope it would happen, but, it, you know, maybe it won't, maybe it'll be seen as a bit too extreme. But, you know, certainly uh, completely um, changing how uh, immigration laws are enforced. Um, you know, again, the moonshot there would be if Julian Castro's policy of just decriminalizing it entirely could get passed. But I think that's I think that's quite an interesting issue because obviously immigration is something that libertarians talk an awful lot about, and it it, it seems like the Democratic uh, Party is a lot of them are they're they're sounding a lot like libertarians on immigration, which is uh, which is good to see, you know. So it's good to see that, and I, I hope that tendency kind of wins out. Yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting that this kind of development. Another issue where where 
some Democrats at least seemed to to start talking like libertarians in foreign policy, which was kind of Marshall mm -hmm. Price. And actually, that's what the that's the reason why I, I started liking uh, Pete Buttigieg. It was it was kind of surprising that the first interview he, um, he did, I think, was was with, with a TV channel and and he spoke about foreign policy and 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 he and he seemed um, uh, to question some of the status quo of, of, of American foreign policy even if now it hasn't elaborated much after that but um, mm -hmm. but obviously Bernie is trying to differentiate himself from from the rest of the pack by trying to to have a much more comprehensive uh, uh, outlook of foreign policy to challenge the, the neoconservative, uh, uh, I have to say, the neoconservative liberal interventionist consensus. And also, um, Elizabeth Warren has, has also has her foreign policy speech. Um, Joe Biden is someone that, who has a very particular kind of, of, of foreign policy position, if I'm not wrong. He was uh, at, at 2007 or 2008, he was in favor of dividing Iraq in three parts: uh, uh, Shiite Iraq, uh, uh, Sunni Iraq, and um, uh, Kurdish Iraq. It was kind of a bold proposal, and, and there are people that have mixed feelings in uh, about that kind of proposal. Some 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 think it was a bold idea. Some other people would think that that it would have led to to more chaos in the Middle East, and 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 there are others who hasn't articulated a foreign policy position like like Kamala Harris. I, I don't think has made that much effort. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, her only comments was that she she throw binders to to her staffers because she, uh, she wanted them to prepare to be to be bold against Russia. <laughs> kind of. A, Strange. I mean, obviously, Mike Rabel also sounds very, very strange. I, I really don't know what are his politics because he he has been all over the place all, all his life. I think he's a very contrarian kind of politician. Uh, uh, it, it seems, from what I read, that he was an outsider even when he was a sitting senator. So he was a very kind of, 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 of unique politician but also he 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 did well he, his team that is on social media a lot that keeps uh, uh trying to, to push further the debate on foreign policy um i don't have hair from 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 bed or Rourke or young that much uh, articulation or, or some of their even more smaller kind of candidates but it, it seems in general that the debate is, is shifting to a more um, to a less hawkish foreign policy that that is kind of questioning the 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 status quo and and that, that it seems in different degrees trying to to seek an, a new foreign policy for America. Yeah, um, I actually yeah I, I kind of. This is hard enough to gauge because, like you said, a lot of candidates have just not said that much about it. Um, uh, on on Twitter recently, actually, uh, someone someone posed a question of uh, who do you think the most hawkish Democrat is in the in the primary, and I said uh, Kamala Harris purely because I haven't heard her say anything about it. Yeah. So um, I think uh, I think in general, the I think in general it, the the party is moving there. It, I'm not now. I'm not sure are they moving or are they just kind of, um, or is it just kind of all talk? There is, they there seems to be kind of more dovish statements. People are talking about, like you say, questioning the status quo a bit. Um, there's obviously some candidates who have very well uh, tracked records on foreign policy. Um, you know, with with you know, kind of support or opposition to the Iraq war and, and different interventions. Uh, what I think. I think it's interesting. There's a few candidates that are interesting here. So the first one, obviously, is um, the first one. I think is Bernie Sanders. So Bernie Sanders has uh, released his vision of this kind of um, of a kind of global progressivism, where he 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 sees uh, you need to secure this sort of progressive vision 
at home and also secured abroad, but in kind of a kind of pacific ways, you know, not, um, he's not talking about uh, violent interventions as, um, as best I can tell anyway, uh, hopefully if he becomes president, I won't be proved wrong on that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, he, he, you know, he's kind of talking about it as a kind of a union of, um, progressive forces all over the world to try to kind of oppose authoritarianism in domestic, um, in, in domestic concerns. So that's uh, that's interesting. He's kind of recasting American foreign policy as being part of normal politics. You know, he's kind of seeing it as oh, there's authoritarian international, and we need to uh, we need to build a kind of progressive international to to push back against it. So that's that's an interesting one. He has he's generally been pretty um, pretty dovish on foreign policy. He's voted for some interventions, but in general, he has tended to criticize wars more. Then he has been in favor of them. He's certainly never been a kind of um, an out-and-out hawk, an out-and-out neocon, like, um, like for example, Hillary Clinton was, uh, you know, was kind of characterized as. Uh, there's some other interesting stuff there in foreign policy. Uh, one of the smaller candidates who has gotten a lot of attention because she's also a very unusual character is um, Tulsi Gabbard the, from Hawaii. And she has made foreign policy the centerpiece of her campaign. Uh, such, you know, to the extent that I've heard about it at all, it's all about um, foreign policy. And in particular, she sees the opening of a new Cold War uh, with Putin's Russia. And she is primarily talking about risks of nuclear war, um, risks of major conflicts, of um, imperialism abroad from. Um, from um, American interventions, and she is saying that yeah, she's the anti-war candidate. Who I and I think Mike Gravel has kind of made um, anti-war a, a big part of what he's about too. But uh, like you say, he's a bit all over the place. <laughs> His Twitter feed <laughs> yeah. is run by a few uh, leftist teenagers, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like um, it, it's kind of like a Vincent Adultsman from BoJack Horseman. You know, it's like a couple of kids in a trench coat <laughs> <laughs> pretending, <laughs> to be, uh, pretending to be Mike Gravel. Uh, but no, he is you know he is kind of an anti-war. Um, most of his life, you know, I, I believe it when he says that. And uh, the same with Tulsi Gabbard. But, uh, you know, she's, uh, I, I kind of don't want to go too much into her because you could spend ages arguing about her. But, you know, she, she has said that her priority is anti-war. Then you've got other, um, you've got other candidates, like, uh, so to go back to Beto O'Rourke, say, he has not talked a massive amount about foreign policy, but he seems to be more on the dovish side. And he's recently taken quite a firmer stance on Israel-Palestine in that he called uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, he called him a racist and said that he is, that the two-state solution to that uh, conflict is being undermined both by the Israeli leadership, by Palestinian leadership and by US leadership. So he is clearly, uh, he's taking a kind of uh, a stance where you want to establish a two-state solution to that conflict, which is, you know, Americans, uh, American politicians on Israel, Palestine, you know, they can be they can be kind of funny. Like they often are very they often say, oh, we strongly support Israel. And then they will say, oh, we also support a two state solution. And it's not really clear exactly what what they want to do with that. You know, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything contradictory there, but um, or not necessarily. But often I, I kind of feel like people say, oh, we support a two state solution. But, you know, kind of in small letters under that is but not enough to do anything about it <laughs> whereas uh whereas uh Beto, you know actually calling bb a racist that um saying that he's not representing what israelis actually want their country to look like now recent elections would kind of make make it seem like he's wrong about that but uh you know uh, so so he's uh he also seems to be kind of on the more dovish side of things or certainly a very much more pro-diplomacy and then yeah you've got like the likes of Pete Buttigieg, who, you know, obviously was, of course, a veteran in his uh, previous life. So maybe that's um, maybe that sort of influenced the way he views um, war and interventions as well. But also, yeah, again, sort of, uh, you know, saying, you know, that you need, you need to scale back. America needs to kind of rethink. Um, America needs to rethink of how it interacts with the world and how wise interventions can be. And I think it's important to note that like I was saying, this is something that matters a lot to people from outside of the US. You know, foreign policy naturally is what affects us the most. But it's also an area that the president probably has the most direct power. 
So, you know, you can have all these economic ideas. And I think it's, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear that some candidates who are much more pro-market, there's some candidates who aren't. Um, but the president mightn't have a massive amount of influence over how much of their economic vision actually gets implemented. Whereas foreign policy, they have an awful lot of power. So what I'd really like to see is for someone to to look at what's happened in the Trump administration and realize how much authorization to use force has been, you know, just surrendered to the president uh, since uh, for that that's been something that's been going on for the last 40 years, but it's it's only gotten worse with each president. So quite famously, Obama with uh, drone strikes, you know, he just basically turned them into the the personal um, a personal assassination tool of the president. So. Uh, it would be really, it'd be really good to see Democrats looking at what the Trump administration has done, the strikes that were unauthorized by Congress, and a huge amount of authority in the president. Obviously, Donald Trump is exactly the type of man you do not want to have an awful lot of executive power in. So I would really like to see uh, what I would really like to see foreign policy-wise, because I, there's a limit to how dovish I think the next president can realistically be. The foreign policy establishment in the United States is quite... Um, it's quite strong. It's quite. Uh, it's got a lot of waste there, and it's it favors intervention. So I think the best thing would be for uh, candidates to talk about scaling back the authorities that the president actually has here, because obviously a president who needs to only check with himself or herself before launching an attack, compared to Congress that needs to have a vote with you know loads of amendments and people making grandstanding speeches and whatnot. It, it, you know, it, if you wanted to see America be less active militarily in the world, less interventionist. I think that's what we should be I think that's what we should be looking for in candidates. Candidates who say we need to return war powers towards the Congress and take them away from the president where they where they really shouldn't be. And it's it's something that has been a problem in the United States for, for decades now. So that would be very encouraging. I haven't heard much from the Democratic uh, candidates about that issue, but we'll see. Yeah, so the other topic that I think we can cover is the issue of the economy. At the start of the campaign, it seemed that a lot of the of, of, of the Democrats were copying basically just Bernie. So yeah. they started talking about Medicare for all, they started talking about kind of free college for all, particularly Kamala Harris tried to, to, to copy basically the exact lines and, and Chris and Gillaran. Um, but when... Pete Buttigieg and Beto Rourke emerged, I think things start to shift because uh, I think both are, are very representative of some geographies. I mean, uh, Texas is kind of the, the, the kind of uh, one of the symbols of American capitalism and, and it's uh, and, and it seems that, that even the, the more left-wing cities, even in Austin, there are, as far as I know, it has some population of the Russians. So it's 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 it seems that 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 is a state in general that, that is much more market friendly than, than let's say California or New York obviously and, and it's the environment that not only permeates the 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 Republican Party but also the, the, the Democratic Party and so it doesn't seem that 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 uh, Beto is is faking his his positions that are not necessarily as, uh, as socialist as, as, as Bernie's or, or as populist as Warren's or, or now Harris. So the other side that is uh, Pete Buttigieg is a very curious candidate. He, he's arguing a very, he's kind of a more uh, wonkish neoliberal in in, in some mm -hmm. sense in in the I guess in the good sense of, of the word not not in the kind of pejorative sense that, that uh, only good senses of neoliberals here <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so I mean he 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 seems like uh, uh, think in in a, in a more important role of the market in 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 the economy and and I think that 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 the vision of, of Pete Buttigieg it, it's having um, um, kind of, of, of backing because um, obviously, I mean, many Democrats, including 
many of the Democrats that are going to vote in the in the early states, particularly, are not necessarily that rich, even if the Democratic Party has uh, started appealing to more rich voters since uh, Trump has started appealing to, to more working class voters, particularly white working class voters. But even saying that, plans like the ones that, that Sanders and, and Warren proposes are going to require heavy and massive uh, uh, tax hikes. And, and, and I don't know to, to what degree Americans are, are, will be ready and, and open to, to that. It's, um, it's mechanisms like, like the, even the issue that, that he favors a universal healthcare system, but he also says that, for example, there, there should be a place for, for, for private insurers. And, 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 and Kamala Harris would, would doesn't necessarily come from the left in any kind of perspective, basically said the one moment before that, that, that private insurers should disappear. So it, it's, it's quite contradictory that the positions that are coming, but not just in, 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 in healthcare, also in, in issues like education where Pete Buttigieg has been, uh, Opposite uh, to his opposition to 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 free colleges uh, has seen as an, a point of an inflection point that some people thought it will tank his campaign, but actually he after that has been even raising his profile, having been someone that was not pushed by by neither the 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 the, the, the more the the conservative right or, or the more uh, left wing elements of, of the Democratic Party. So so it seems that that Pete Buttigieg is is the one that that has more um, of the new candidates, the one that has a more elaborate uh, uh, economic perspective. But on the other side, it's, it's Elizabeth Warren, a candidate that I, I will have told that at this moment will be polling much higher. But she has also a, a addition. Uh, that, that is not exactly the same as Sanders. Some say that is 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 more moderate, or say that in some ways is more radical. But uh, for example, Tyler Cohen has criticized his her proposal to to break big tech. For example, it it seems like uh, how exactly you will break big tech? Uh, wouldn't that create other companies that will emerge and become big tech again? And and I think you could explain for for Europe maybe better than than I do, but but Europe has a a, a much more stronger regulatory state generally, both at the European level at individual countries, and and still there is a, what some people call the, the capture economy that 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 corporations are are still uh, using the the power of the state to. To, to keep growing and and it's it's it seems that 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 the the focus should have been in fighting corporate welfare it it will have been in trying to 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 have a more um, more kind of libertarian but also populist reading of this issue I think uh, people forget that Ron Paul uh, even if he had very radical proposals like. Uh, 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 abolishing the Federal Reserve, uh, he he also has backing by by saying then uh, against standing uh, in principle against uh, against the the huge corporate welfare that that that, that goes to to the hands of, of already wealthy and big corporations that that in general will wouldn't need uh, corporate welfare to exist. And and it seems that, that the the wild card there that that it, that it was kind of unexpected it has been Andrew Young he he it's it's some say like Said Giuliani was uh, until very recent times on the Intercept in with I think a very um, accurate generally left wing journalist uh, is making the case that that in his opinion Andrew Yang knows he is not going to win, so he's trying to raise his profile, and that's why he he sometimes put the very weird kind of positions. But on economics, that seems the issue that he he cares the most. He he's proposing solutions that that I think should have a more uh, honest debate like like UB like the UBI um, 
the universal basic income, a proposal that, that I think it's going to be uh, interesting, particularly in, in the transition from the from the current economy to, to a new kind of economy that, that is going to be much more technological and, 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 and which is still, we are kind of figuring out how it will be, but, but, but many said that it will generate work displacement, so how to deal with it, UEI seems to be a, a, an option. How do you see it as the, the, the economic side of the debate? Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of a uh, lot of interesting points raised there, and I'll see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I hit something on. Um, and I hit something on on most of them at least. So. Um, so yeah. The first thing is yeah the the kind of reframing of issues like healthcare and education. So I, I think um, you're you're right in that when we when Pete Buttigieg said that he didn't think that free college for all was a particularly fair proposal. You know, he he kind of characterized it as being you know middle class welfare. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, oh, well, that's it. You know, you, you can't say that that's what everyone's after. But uh, the thing there is that already most of the candidates are saying that, oh, yeah, we want to see, you know, free college for more people or free college for all or some version of that. So by being the one who disagrees, you get to stand out. And that is, I think that's kind of what a lot of Pete Buttigieg's rise has been about in that he's kind of... Um, there's been a sort of consensus around a kind of vaguely progressive agenda that a lot of the major candidates are buying onto. So I think one interesting example of that was when um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, proposed the Green New Deal resolution. A lot of presidential candidates just um, took it up. Uh, and sometimes it was clear, like, say, with the case of Cory Booker, it was clear that he hadn't even read the thing. You know, he didn't even know what he was endorsing. He was just kind of uh, going along with, this is what we believe now. We like we like green, we like New Deal. So, yeah, we like the Green New Deal. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so, so Mayor Pete has been able to reframe that quite nicely. And it was where, where I first came across him was um, a speech where he was reframing democratic ideas in terms of positive liberalism. Are positive liberties, which I'm a, as you know, kind of uh, the way I like to kind of philosophically view things is in terms of negative liberties. You know that freedom means you know not being stopped, not being coerced, not having um, some some third party, whether that be the state or um, or uh, you know uh, in a stateless society, you know maybe like a, a drug cartel or something or some power that's coercing you and stopping you from doing things. That's kind of the way I like to look at um, liberty, but. Pete, has, Pete Buttigieg has reframed it in terms of positive liberties. And he's saying that, yeah, you know, it's it's the freedom to do things as well. And I think it's nice that just to hear Democrats talking about it in that way, to start talking about their agenda in terms of uh, freedom rather than in terms of other sort of um, concerns, which is quite nice, even if I philosophically actually disagree with it. But, you know, I think that's kind of where he's, uh, he's coming from with a lot of this stuff, that it's about providing opportunities, not necessarily... Um, not necessarily trying to kind of subsidize everything. You're you're trying to kind of help as many people as possible find their um, you know kind of empower them to do what they what they feel that is best for them. And that's where Andrew Yang's proposal is so interesting because that is that is exactly what a UBI is. You know, it's sort of um, recasting the welfare status. We're just going to give you money. That's that's all we're going to do, and you can decide what you want to do with it. So we're not going to provide. Um, now, Andrew Yang, of course, is also in favor of uh, universal health care, which is kind of not a lot of, you know, there's disagreements in um, UBI communities and movements about this, whether UBI is meant to replace the welfare state or whether it's meant to complement the welfare state. I honestly don't know how you could have a UBI and our current scale welfare state without, you know, taxes of, <laughs> you know, um, enormous taxes that, uh, you know, that even the 50s wouldn't have had. So, um so, yeah, but a UBI in that sense is, is really interesting, and it, and it kind of plays into this idea. So Andrew Yang, even, he's another example. He calls his proposal the Freedom Grant. So, uh, and it is, yeah, we're going to give you money, and that's your Freedom Grant. That's going to help you do what it is that you decide you want to do. And I think that's really, I think that's a really interesting thing that's happening in the Democratic primary. I'd really like to see more of that, of these ideas that I, you know, I, I disagree with an awful lot of them. I'm pretty... Um, very free market in my outlook. Uh, welfare is something, it's, it's probably the area I disagree with libertarians most on, but, you know, I'm still sort of a, I, I like my wealth, 
my welfare state, my welfare systems to be as to be as uh, unpaternalistic as possible. You know, I want uh, as much as possible. If you can give people cash, just give them cash rather than you know buying things for them or giving them vouchers for things that they they might not even want. So so it's interesting to see uh, Andrew Yang's proposal. Get, get so much attention, you know, because he's quite an interesting guy. He seems to kind of, uh, you never know what he's going to propose on an issue. And he just kind of comes up with these ideas. You don't know even how much he's thought about them or how much work has been on them. But that's, yeah, so that's one interesting um, aspect of that. So whether the Democrats are going to kind of go down the road of free education, free health care, uh, kind of Medicare for um, all that's definitely going to be sticking point in the primary. And I think that's something that a lot of uh, US-based libertarians would care an awful lot about. Uh, the, the next thing you mentioned there was the uh, the idea of corporate welfare and mm. um, you know breaking up big tech and whatnot. And so like you said, Europe, yes, I live in Europe and that's a lot more, um, it's a lot more regulated and there's a very obvious way um, that that affects things is that you can't really name many big European tech giants. <laughs> you know, there's not many big tech companies out that are based in Europe or that were founded in Europe. Uh, to the extent that they are based in Europe, there's an awful lot of them here in Dublin where I live. They are other, they're multinational firms that were founded at sources like Facebook, Google, Amazon, whatnot. And they've just set up headquarters in Europe, but we're not founding a lot of tech firms in Europe because, and you know, uh, definitely a part of that. There's no, there's, there's a lot of reasons for it. But definitely a part of that is Europe is a lot more in regulatory terms, and especially the European Union is a lot more hostile and to uh, the idea of not regulating things too heavily. You know, they really want to keep everything in line. They want to have a strong regulation on tech, especially. That's something that's really emerging in Europe. So how that happens in America is going to be interesting. So Warren wants to break up big tech, and I agree with Tyler Cohen's criticisms. I, I don't think it's... Uh, I don't think it's a good idea, but if they're going to, and I, I also agree, of course, that what's more important is to try and stop corporate welfare, regulatory capture, things like that. Stuff that hasn't really been talked about all that much in the primary. And the book uh, was written by uh, two members, Frank Lindsay and um, another guy in the Niskanen Center, of course, Captured Economy, which mm -hmm. I think you mentioned, kind of says that this would be a kind of area where you could get a bit of bipartisanship because it's sort of, it's progressive in the sense of oh yeah we we want the we, we want to stop giving favors to these to these huge companies these very rich companies they're uh, they're gaming the rules for their own benefit I mean this is the type of thing that Bernie Sanders you know it would not be out of place at Bernie Sanders rally but uh, it would be a sort of place where you could get um, a bit of overlap with the kind of um, with the kind of very um, right wing members say the kind of Freedom Caucus um, in the Republican Party. You know, which are very anti-statist. They're very, you know, all about uh, shrink the state enough so you can drown it in the bathtub. So, uh, you know, it would be sort of a merging of progressive and anti-statist instincts. So whether that's going to emerge as much of an issue in the primary, I'm not sure, because I think it can be a difficult thing to get across to people. It's a very kind of technocratic thing when you're talking about, uh, oh, these regulations that sound good, actually what they're really doing is they're helping, um, you know, they're helping firms just sort of capture the uh, capture the market and game system to their benefit. But it seems like the it seems like in that sense Warren's plan and Warren calls herself a capitalist. She says I'm a capitalist in my bones, even though she's clearly on the left side of the Democratic Party. Um, how, how that emerges, how that's going to play out in the primary, I honestly I'm not sure because a lot of Democrats really have not talked about this all that much. They haven't talked about um, issues of regulation to the extent that they talk about the economy. They usually say, "Oh, we'll, we'll make it fairer for everyone. We'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll ask the rich to pay more in their to pay more taxes and we'll use it to fund more public services." You know, it's kind of very, um, you know, kind of very very common kind of sentiments that you'll get from left-leaning politicians in, you know, all over the world that say, oh yeah, we, you know, we need to spend more on public services. And that's basically what I've been hearing so far from most of the candidates. But then you've got guys like, yeah, you've got guys like Buttigieg and, um, and O'Rourke who are clearly, you know, kind of more pro-market, you know, the kind of, uh, as you say, in the good sense, neoliberals <laughs> in that they're more, uh, they're more pro-market. They, they see a role for private health insurance in a universal healthcare system. So I think those are the sort of issues 
that are going to dominate in the primary as opposed to things that kind of for those of us outside of the United States, I mean, I suppose maybe, you know, you might have sort of an opinion on whether the United States should offer Medicare for all or not, but it probably is not going to affect you all that much unless you live there, unless you know people there. Whereas uh, tech regulation, you know, these multinational firms that, um, you know, they operate all over the globe. Uh, my own city, Dublin, has a huge amount of people employed in tech. The guy, one of the guys that I live with uh, works in um, in one of these firms so that is definitely going to matter and it it kind of worries me that we haven't heard much about it and that to the extent that we have heard about it it's just been elizabeth warren who kind of wants to uh take a take a sledgehammer and knock them all down <laughs> so um we'll, we'll see how that goes we'll see how that goes um but yeah I, I think the the issues are really going to be more um more kind of domestic bread and butter stuff. But I think libertarians from outside the US should definitely be keeping an eye on tech regulation and things like that, because I think that's the stuff that's really going to affect us outside of the United States. Okay, I think to, to, to end this, I think we could talk about the kind of surprises that it has been developed. I think that, for example, um, Matt Iglesias has pointed out that, that Probably Bernie Sanders has something that, that that basically no other candidate has. That is the 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 core support of the left wing of the Democratic Party, and that makes him able to to move to the right basically with not that much cost. And in that some cases, for example, uh, a Bernie government will be less to the left then Elizabeth Warren government will try to, to prove the the Bernie Bros wrong by, by trying to, to do things like breaking up the big deck or, or even a Kamal Harris government will end up being being growing the the, the, the size of the state. And and it seems also that, that there are several surprises like the fact that that that, that Kirsten Gillibran hasn't been pulling as high as I would have expected. Also, Cory Booker, who, who at that uh, one moment was think to be the future of the Democratic Party. Um, uh, I have mixed feelings from for the senator of, of Minnesota. <laughs> that, 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 yeah, it's uh, it's it's very curious. I mean, uh, Amy Klobuchar. Uh, certainly, Minnesota is a very curious state because it, it has been uh, a solid uh, blue state for a while. The, the larger cities, Minneapolis, uh, the Saint Paul, are, are democratic cities, and it's it's a state that has combined a, a, um, a care for for social justice and redistribution. Uh, but at the same time has been able to maintain large corporations there and on also the Mall of America, that's probably one of the, the, the more explicit symbols of American capitalism. And, and, and yeah, and she also has, despite it, she seems to have a strong support in her state, doesn't seem that, that her support as a, as a more kind of centrist candidate is, is going to other places, I I still don't know what's going to be the, the place to the more smaller kind of candidates to to Tulsi Gabbard, who, who as you mentioned has a very particular position on, on, on foreign policy. And I think my gravel was going to be the most wild card in, in, if he is able to to make it in the debate, but because I don't you think the French code on and not reveal all the kids he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, if he is able to go in the debates, and 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 I think it's not impossible. This, it's it's possible that he is going to bring up his two thousand eight platform, who was kind of a libertarian in some ways, and he, I think he's he has ditched his idea of abolishing the IRS. But I think on some issues like. Uh, he was a, a more, much more market friendly than, than let's say, the, the the average Democrat. So he's going to be able to surprise the propers and strangers with with some of what he could say. It's still, I think, the debates are going to be the key, and I think that they're going to be the the the, the band that is going to give the more surprises to to, to the race. Mm. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, there has been. There has definitely been a lot of surprises. Um, there's a lot of issues brought up that you kind of wouldn't expect. So, um, 
So actually, one, one person we haven't talked an awful lot about here is uh, Kamala Harris, who I think we should mention, uh, certainly from my perspective, is is kind of almost the worst candidate from a libertarian perspective, because, you know, the you know the kind of joke that goes around on Twitter is that Kamala Harris is a cop <laughs> <laughs> because of her history as a prosecutor. But, you know, she's, uh, you know, her kind of uh, her history, she's trying to reframe herself as being a progressive prosecutor, but her history is kind of... Uh, you know, she's supported and spearheaded legislation that's harmful to, to sex workers. She's um, she, she once proposed, uh, I think, uh, prosecuting parents if their kids were skipping school, stuff like that. So I'd be pretty I'd be pretty worried of uh, from a kind of civil liberties perspective if Kamala Harris got in, because, I, you know, I think she has that kind of prosecutor's mindset. She's kind of, you know, she's kind of trying to sell the idea that, you know, uh, you know, Picking on uh, weaker people and sticking them in jail is a great progressive thing to do, you know, which is what prosecutors are are, are often at. So I think, um, yeah, from um, from a libertarian perspective, I think we should be worried about Kamala Harris, especially because in policy terms, I don't think she's really differentiated herself from kind of, uh, you know, she's kind of a pretty. I think her views are pretty standard progressive outside that. I don't think a libertarian would kind of. Um, I don't think there's much to kind of really latch onto there. Uh, but yeah, her her history is a cop. Yeah, that that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then um, then then another thing is um, so yeah, in terms of what will actually come out in the debates. So I mean, obviously, I don't know if you watched the 2016 debates yeah. for the Republican primary, but it was you know it was a total mess. <laughs> there was just so many candidates there. It was really hard for a lot of people who were saying very similar things. You know, I mean, a lot of these candidates there was not all that much between them, and I think that's how Donald Trump. Is certainly part of how he kind of stood out was because he was so bizarre. He was so weird. He was so different to the rest of all of these kind of little, uh, Republican clones of each other. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, I, I wonder, could we get a similar dynamic in the Democratic Party where, you know, if you've got a load of candidates um, on the stage, what's going to happen is the one who kind of is stands out the most, who's the most separate, could be the one who benefits um, you know, you could see Bernie Sanders succeeding that way, but, you know, I don't think any of us in 2015 or 2014 would have said, oh, Donald Trump is going to win the Republican primary. <laughs> so, uh, you, know, I, you know, I would certainly be, um, I'd certainly in a, in a big packed up primary, there, there's potential for unexpected things to happen. And what happens to the smaller candidates? Um, I imagine some of them are probably running they're not really running for president. I imagine they're trying to, you know, just get the brand out, like you, like you mentioned with Andrew Yang. They're trying to build up their profile. Maybe they're shooting for a cabinet position or a, a vice president position. So it's worth, um, it's worth seeing, you know, kind of uh, which what these candidates are saying because they could potentially be important. Um, maybe as a vice president, maybe as a cabinet secretary. So, like one thing that I mentioned was that I don't think uh, one thing I mentioned on Twitter was I, I don't think Julian Castro is going to do well in terms of uh, actually getting a shot at winning the primary, but I would really, really like if, if someone picked him to be their vice president, you know. So there's there's stuff like that to consider too. Um, you mentioned Mike Gravel. I don't know an awful lot about him, only I see, you know, the, the hot takes on Twitter from the, <laughs> from the leftist teenagers. Um, but yeah, I'll take your word for it that he had a more of a libertarian, more kind of pro-market approach than... than a lot of other Democrats in the, 20, in the 2008 primary um, yeah, we'll see. Maybe does some of that come into play? Does some of do, does the record that these Democrats have come into play? Because a lot of these are new candidates, but guys like Joe Biden have been around for decades, so obviously their record's going to be interrogated. And um, I wonder as well with Biden's numbers, are people you know is, is a lot of that just sort of you know he stood next to Obama and I want Obama back. So um, yeah, it'd be it'd be really interesting to see actually. I think with the Joe Biden runs and if he does um, how how stable his lead turns out to be and if he doesn't where his supporters go because i think he kind of represents the you know he represents the old guard of the democratic party in a lot of ways uh, you know he represents the voters who are sort of you know moderately left-wing and uh, moderately uh, liberal on social issues when the party is you know the party is moving i think kind of more firmly to the left and more firmly kind of progressive on issues in terms of the coverage, but maybe the voters don't feel the same way, we'll, we'll find out. But I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on, is how how Biden does. Because, you know, there's there's the online Twitter activists who are, you know, all calling for a Green New Deal and abolishing ICE. 
But, you know, maybe the average, I'd say the average Democratic voter probably doesn't feel that way. So if, I think if you're getting all of your politics from Twitter, which I, I can sometimes be guilty of doing, <laughs> you know, you should, uh, I think you should kind of keep an eye out and just kind of keep in mind that uh, Twitter is, is not real life <laughs> and uh, that things could be, thing, you know, things could surprise you because, you know, the people who are, the people who actually vote in these primaries might feel an awful lot more, uh, an awful lot differently on issues than kind of the way it's been covered on Twitter and the way it's been covered in the in the kind of uh, the mainstream media. Okay, I think we can leave it here. It has been a pleasure talking to you. It's, it has been a really interesting conversation. So, where do people going find you on social media? Hi, uh, yeah, uh, well, first of all, yes, thank, thanks for having me on. It was a very enjoyable conversation. And so, yeah, you can find me. My main social media is um, is Twitter. So that's um, at ConnorDuffy underscore seven. Um, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah, type in Connor Duffy and I've, uh, I'm standing in front of a statue of Adam Smith <laughs> because I'm always, uh, always on brands, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, so, so it has been a pleasure and thank you. Bye.